Welcome to the 427th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with writer Heather Bell Adams, author of the novel The Good Luck Stone. Stay tuned for the interview. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Heather Bell Adams, author of the new novel, The Good Luck Stone. Adam's first novel, Maranatha Road, won the gold medal for the Southeast region in the Independent Publisher Book Awards and was selected for Deep South Magazine's Fall Winter Reading List. Heather, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I've been a fan for a long time, so I'm just thrilled to be here. Oh, thank you. If someone listening hasn't heard about your new novel, The Good Luck Stone, yet, how would you describe the novel? I would describe The Good Luck Stone as a a dual timeline story about a 90-year-old Savannah Society maven who suddenly disappears when a secret she has kept since World War II begins to unravel. That's the one-sentence description. (laughs) Great. Do you remember the original idea that led you to write The Good Luck Stone? To some extent, yes. I feel as a reader, I have encountered so many wonderful novels about World War II that are set in Europe. And I wanted to do something a little bit different and set the historical portion of this story in the South Pacific. And so that was the original thought for the historical portion of the story. When it comes to the contemporary or roughly contemporary, it's 2010 um, storyline, I have vacationed for many years in Savannah, Georgia, and that's where my mother-in-law currently lives. And it's such a great town for all the history that's there. And then these beautiful, elegant mansions, just one right after another. And I found myself when I was walking around Savannah, asking myself, you know, who lives in these houses? Who are these people? And what secrets might they have? And so I took those two kernels of ideas and combined them to make the story. It is a wonderful city. (laughs) I can see why you were inspired. For sure. So how much historical research did you do when you were writing The Good Luck Stone? I definitely had to do more research for this novel than I did for Maranatha Road, which was set roughly present time and in Western North Carolina where I grew up. So for The Good Luck Stone, I definitely researched the nursing profession. And my mother, who passed away when I was in high school, had been a nurse or had worked in the nursing profession. So I drawn to that anyway, just in terms of learning more about it. And then certainly I did quite a bit of research on the South Pacific, the locations there in the Philippines where Audrey Thorpe, our main character, where her unit might have been um, stationed and where they might have gone. And then certainly what was happening during World War II at the time. I, Of course, again, we hear so much about the dramatic events happening in Europe. There are you know, so many great stories that are true to life that happened in the Philippines and other parts of the South Pacific, um, that I did a lot of research to draw from those events for the historical timeline. Sure. Can you remember the first fiction that you ever wrote? The first fiction that I ever wrote. I wrote a lot of short stories when I was growing up. My family 
grew up with a lot of cats. We had these outdoor cats that were our pets. <laughs> and the earliest fiction I wrote was all about my pet cats and their fictional adventures throughout the neighborhood. <laughs> That's great. So what was your writing journey that eventually led you to writing and getting your first novel, Maranatha Road, published? I I always was a big reader and interested in writing just because when I read a good book, I feel inspired to try to write a story. I wrote short fiction in college. I went to Duke for undergrad and didn't really focus on that or anything, but it was just always in the background as something that I was playing around with. And then I went to law school and started work as a lawyer. And I wouldn't say that I put writing aside necessarily. In those early years of my career and then when my son was younger, I definitely didn't have as much free time to focus on writing. But as my son got older, as I got more established in my legal career, I picked it back up again, decided that I wanted to spend a little more uh, time and energy on developing my creative writing. I did short stories for several years. And in the back of my mind, always wanted to try a novel. And I was always in a notebook of different ideas that might be big enough, if you will, to support a novel as opposed to a short story. And so that first novel idea did ultimately uh, become Maranatha Road. I went to several writing workshops and uh, was mentored by writers I admire. Amy Green is a novelist out of Eastern Tennessee, and she was instrumental in just encouraging me um, to keep going with Maranatha Road. And so just went from there. And what was the writing workshop experience like for you? Over the years, I have really tried when I have time off work, I still work as a lawyer, when I have time off work to schedule conferences, different workshops. I've been to this workshop at the Tucson Festival of Books, which was wonderful. The Yale Writers Workshop up in New Haven. This workshop that I did with Amy Green and um, in Virginia. And it's so nice to be able to both study from the masters, if you will, those writers that I admire as a reader, it's such an honor to have them look at my work and spend time with me on improving it. And then also, I always come out of any writing conference, really. And these days, of course, they're virtual. I find the same to be true. But I always come out of them having met and so enjoyed my time with other writers that you really develop these friendships. I have two friends whom I met at Yale and we live across the country from each other. And we've, it's now been, gosh, several years, four or five years since we met. And we still email each other, I would say, several times a week about our lives, our writing, and those friendships are just so important. That's great. So how do you balance writing fiction uh, novels and short stories with your legal career and obviously your life too as a mom, et cetera? <laughs> well, sometimes I feel like I don't do it very well. I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> but I try to think of writing as – I try to remind myself that writing is something I'm doing for fun. And I want to find that joy in it because that's what originally – prompted me to start writing is that I found joy in it. So when it becomes to be this burdensome task, um, that's when I need to sit back and sternly talk sternly to myself and say, 
um, hey, this is supposed to be fun, right? This is something that you're supposed to get joy from. And I really, in terms of time management, I try to not put a lot of pressure on myself. I'm not someone who says, oh, I have to spend an hour every day writing on this, on my current project or something like that, because honestly, some days that is just not going to happen. If I'm traveling for work or I have a deposition or a court hearing or a big deadline on the legal side of things, then I just know that realistically, I'm not going to have an hour to spend on writing that day. And I recognize I'm the type of person that if I set a rule for myself or goal for myself, then I'm going to be really upset and disappointed if I don't meet it. (laughs) So I just try to give myself the grace from the very get go, right, and not set unrealistic rules for myself that I'll end up having to break. So what I do is I try to work writing in, I, I call it into the margins, I might be waiting for a flight at the airport or waiting for my takeout lunch or just those little pockets of time. I'm able to, I carry around this notebook with me all the time. And I just am able to write during those little pockets of time. I will say it's harder when I'm doing a big revision to do that in those little bits of time. I feel like for a big revision, I have to wait for the weekend or an evening when I don't have family obligations to really dig into a big revision. Sure. You talked about going to attending these writer workshops and conferences and learning from these published writers. I'm curious, what areas in your writing did you feel that you needed to improve or change in those early drafts of your first novel, Maranatha Road? That's a good question. I always enjoyed learning and I always feel like there's room for improvement. I don't necessarily go into workshops or conferences thinking, oh, this specific area is something that I need to work on. I think all the areas can be improved. I feel like we learned to, or at least I learned so much from just how others interpret our work. We're so close to it as writers that having that other new set of eyes to look at something that we've written, say, I just, I don't quite understand this character's motivation, or what did you mean here? Or even just sometimes the physicality of a scene, like, oh, I I thought they were still on the boat. Why, where are they right now? Just those sorts (laughs) of questions that new readers have about a work, I think really helps improve it. And I am also a somewhat of a short meaning that when I get feedback, it's often, and John Seeley provided this for the Good Luck Stone, it's often, give me a little bit more here. What And and I think that comes from my legal writing, have such strict word count. When you're submitting something to the court, you have to really Mm -hmm. condense, condense. So (laughs) I sometimes um, need to be reminded on the fiction side that we have the freedom to really fully flesh out a description or a scene or, you know, remind the reader, what does this character look like? Or what are they holding? What are they wearing? So that often is an improvement that I've found in giving my work to others to read. Interesting. So what was your writing process like for the Good Luck Stone? Do do you write organically or do you write from a detailed plot outline? That's a good question. And I always think it's so fascinating to hear about different writers' processes. Generally speaking, I'm a very organic writer in that I'll just experiment and play around with the story and let the characters drive it and reveal what the story is going to be. I definitely did that with Maranatha Road. And I also did it with the Luckstone. 
I would say because this one is a dual timeline, and I was going back and forth chronologically between the story moves along chronologically, but we go back and forth 2010 Savannah and then 1941-42 the Philippines. I did map out a little bit on index cards when the big reveals were going to be or those milestone moments in each storyline so that I try to have them come at the appropriate time, if that makes sense. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, it does. So given your two published novels now, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? I always think that reading widely and then also reading in a very focused way in your preferred genre is really important. Again, to go back to, I think we learn so much from the writers that we admire. And I think it's instructive to Take a book that a writer might feel like, oh, this is somewhat similar in some way to what I'm trying to do, and reread it and reread it again and try to figure out, okay, how did that author accomplish? You know, what what do I admire about it? And then how did that author accomplish that? I think that's really important. I also think when we are reading really good writing, whether it's in our preferred genre or not. I think it just is absorbed into our mind and that in turn improves and improves our writing when we go to set pen to paper. So I, it really begins with reading for me. And on that note, what books have you read recently that you really enjoyed, either fiction or nonfiction? I really liked, let's see, I, I love Britt Bennett and I am blanking on the one, the book that just came out about the twins. Um, the Mothers was her first book, and it'll come to me in a minute, hopefully. <laughs> oh, The Vanishing Half, um, <laughs> of course, The Vanishing Half. Yeah, I would say so far in 2020, that's been my favorite read. I recently read, um, just yesterday, finished a book called The Tumbling Turner Sisters by Juliette Fay, that is a historical novel set in around 1919. And I thought it was so well done. The historical research was just woven into the story so beautifully, and the characters were so authentically drawn. I thought that was really good as well. Are you working on another novel now? I am. I have just, during quarantine times, it's been such an awkward period sometimes as writers, and I was talking about this with some friends of mine recently, it's been difficult to focus on a project or to think that this is worth 
doing, right? Because in some ways, it feels superficial when there's so much seriousness going on in the world right now. But I'm a firm believer that we need we need story all the time, including now. And so I have been I've been going back and forth, I've done some short stories, and then I've been working on a novel, I just was talking to my agent about it a couple weeks ago and got her uh, seal of approval to to keep going with it. And it's another historical. This one actually is a straight historical, not a dual timeline, at least so far. We'll see how it develops. But yeah, set in 1920 in Tennessee. So I'm excited about that. That's great. So when you sit down to work on a short story, do you know that it's a short story in your mind? Or are you surprised? And sometimes it turns into a short story and sometimes it turns into a novel. I'm just wondering about the creative process there, Mm -hmm. specifically around short stories. I've definitely had it happen both ways. I think when I write, sometimes I write flash fiction, that's really 1,000, 1,500 words. Generally for that type of project, I know from the beginning what it's going to be because it's just a moment in time or um, that moment when something changes for the character. But Between a short story and a novel, I have definitely had some ideas that I thought or that I've told my friends, oh, this is my next novel idea. And then I sit down to write it and I'm finished with it after six, 7,000 words. (laughs) I realized, (laughs) oh, well, maybe that wasn't really a novel. Maybe that was more of a short story. Um, I think often with a novel, it becomes about, and my stories are generally character driven. So it becomes about the character's journey and how much they change from the start to the finish and all the different experiences they have along the way that provoke that change. Sometimes you just sort of know, okay, a lot's going to have to happen to this character for them to get from point A to point B. And that's when I believe it's probably a novel length project. Gotcha. So where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your novels and your writing? I have a website that's heatherbelladams.com. And then I'm on Facebook as Heather Bell Adams, and it's B E L, no E on the end. And then Instagram, Heather Bell Adams, and also on Twitter, Heather Bell Adam. The run out of room for the S. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Again, we've been speaking with Heather Bell Adams, author of the new novel, The Good Luck Stone. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Heather, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. And I really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. Now stay tuned as Heather Bell Adams reads from her novel, The Good Luck Stone. The Good Luck Stone, Chapter One. Wearing the brooch was a risk, but surely no one would recognize it. Audrey Thorpe lingered by the wall in the lobby of Savannah's Jepson Center for the Arts. Waiters circulated with trays of champagne and bite-sized crab cakes, while the museum's donors mingled and congratulated themselves on another fine exhibition. Audrey leaned against a linen-skirted table for support and returned a friend's wave across the crowd. At her age, the room's pale stone floor was almost as treacherous as an ice rink. She'd gone her entire life, 90 years, without a broken bone. Now her sense of balance worsened with each passing day. At home, she resorted to using a cane when she felt unsteady, but she didn't like to be seen with it on social occasions. The last of the evening sun filtered in through the glass facade overlooking Telfair Square. Trying to quell her impatience, she touched the brooch pinned to her dress. 
the cloudy green stone, flawless jade, still as smooth as when she'd first held it long ago, had been carved to resemble a hibiscus bloom. A tiny seed pearl glimmered from its center. As soon as her granddaughter approached, Audrey dropped her hand, which had begun to tremble. She didn't want Deanna to notice the brooch. This particular jewel hadn't seen the light of day since the war. Deanna, a 38-year-old woman who monogrammed practically everything she touched, straightened the name tag pinned to her navy sheath. It had been printed with Deanna Gayton, but she'd added Thorpe with a hyphen in blue ink. Obsessed with social standing, she used the family's name every chance she got. Are you looking forward to the exhibit? Deanna tilted her head to appraise Audrey's dress, made of pale green silk printed with purple irises. She didn't appear to notice the brooch. Then again, when it came to the family jewelry, Deanna had always been most interested in her grandmother's diamond-encrusted watch, an anniversary gift from Audrey's late husband. Deanna repeated her question about the exhibit louder, even though Audrey had heard her perfectly well the first time. Her granddaughter often spoke to her the same way she spoke to her 10-year-old son. Audrey nodded. As a member of the museum's board, she had studied the oversized color photographs of ancient Filipino artifacts, a stem cup and footed jarlet discovered in Leda Leda Cave, a copper plate inscribed in Kavi, blue and white porcelain from Palawan, a death mask made of gold, burial jars from the late Neolithic period, some with traces of their original red paint. It was astonishing, really, what survived, hidden deep within the earth while battles raged. No matter how difficult this evening might prove, Audrey wanted, needed to stay calm. Although tonight's exhibit might offer closure, it was a private matter. After she'd seen it, she would return to her life unchanged, without so much as a hint of any personal connection. But when Audrey glimpsed the map on the wall, her breath quickened and the sepia tones swam before her eyes. Back when she saw the archipelago for the first time from the ship, so many years ago and from such a distance, the islands looked like nothing more than specks of coral. Here, the music drifting from the museum's speakers sounded misplaced, the traditional gongs and lizard-skin drums a stark contrast to her memories of Jimmy Dorsey and Glenn Miller on the Armed Forces Radio. Slightly dizzy, she grabbed the velvet rope separating her from the display of clay and hematite pottery. Perhaps coming here had been a mistake. Just as Audrey took a deep breath to steady herself, a heavily made-up woman whose pink pantsuit matched her fuchsia lipstick bumped into her and crushed her foot in its sensible low heel. She stammered an apology. You're Mrs. Thorpe, right? I've seen you at events, of course, but we've never officially met. Audrey, so accustomed to strangers wanting something from her, barely registered the woman's words. She forced herself, spine popping, to stand up straighter, even as her foot throbbed. No apology needed. Please don't give it another thought. Deanna thrust her hand forward to shake the strangers. I'm her granddaughter. My husband is around here somewhere. Audrey's attention drifted as the two women discussed whether they'd met at another charity event. In time, this new acquaintance would drop hints about a donation request. When your name appeared all over town, Savannah Episcopal Day School, Christ Church, various historical preservation fundraisers, it was expected. Neither woman mentioned Audrey's most cherished event, the Garden Club Gala she hosted at her house on Palm Tree Lined Victory Drive. 
where she lived blissfully alone. When Audrey caught the word legacy in the woman's prattle, she winced. Did everyone think she had so little time left? Grateful for the carpeted floor, she concentrated on putting one foot in front of the other, inching closer to the artifacts on display. Beyond the map, at last they entered the exhibit proper. The crowd thinned as donors fanned out to examine items of interest. Audrey should have been able to breathe more easily, but the word legacy thrummed in her mind. Somehow she felt hot and cold at once, shivering in the air conditioning while sweat trickled down her neck. Behind the glass, a death mask winked in the light, like an ominous forecast. Spots danced in front of her eyes, and the mask appeared to tilt sideways. What's the verdict, Miss Audrey? Another stranger, this one a tall, slender, middle-aged man in khakis, stooped down, his voice low in her ear. Confused by the word verdict, Audrey shook her head and struggled to stay upright. The room was starting to spin. I'm afraid I don't know what you mean. Shocked at how tremulous her voice sounded, she took a step back. You have no business passing judgment on me. Eyebrows raised, the stranger turned to the attractive woman at his side. Her toned arms were crossed over her chest, and her navy dress with its lace overlay and gray-gray trim looked expensive. Deanna, Audrey said, reminding herself that she was her granddaughter. Deanna stepped closer, the slender man not far behind. Desperate to find the exit, Audrey turned away. In the press of the crowd, the sharp pin of the brooch pricked her chest, and she gasped, surprised at the sting. A spot of blood bloomed on her dress. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.